This is The Guardian. On the road to decarbonisation, you might think that swapping from petrol and diesel cars to electric would be a bit of a no-brainer. It's one of those uh, rare moments when there is really good news in climate uh, change that something really works. But like many environmental issues, EVs have become caught up in the culture wars. I, I think it's simply a way to own the libs, basically. Touted as a panacea by many of those on the left, and as a carbon-guzzling mess or total non-starter by some on the right. So do you think it's one of those things where there's a bunch of green people who don't do the math? Oh, yeah. It just sounds great. It, yeah. it falls in line with the progressive ideology. You know, carbon neutral, we can do this, everyone go electric. Yeah, and there's a fascinating discussion happening in the environmental community right now because they're being confronted with reality. The electric vehicle revolution is coming. It's good for the environment. It's good for cutting air pollution. The running costs of an electric car are less than the running costs of a petrol and diesel car. But what does the evidence say about the environmental benefits of going electric? What are the grey areas and the problems left to solve? And will we really all be driving battery-powered vehicles by 2050? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. To get to the bottom of those questions, I called on someone who spends quite a lot of time tackling the myths and misunderstandings around electric vehicles. I'm Alke Hoekstra. I uh, work at the University of Eindhoven as a researcher in electric mobility, but I'm mostly known as the debunker-in-chief of uh, a myth around electric vehicles on social media. <laughs> I'm so glad to have the debunker-in-chief on for this topic because... Alka, there is a lot for us to get into. And first off, let's start with the manufacturing, because you often see arguments put out that EVs are way more carbon intensive to make. So is this true? Yes, it is. It's simply true. They are much more carbon intensive to manufacture. It's getting less uh, because battery production is getting more uh, efficient, but like 30% more emissions to up to 50% is quite normal. But, and this is the important part, a car emits about 80% or more of its CO2 when it's in use and not during production. So although you get this climate backpack, as they call it in Germany, during production, which is bad, you earn it back very quickly once you start actually driving the car. So my estimate often in the UK is about 16,000 miles before you've sort of paid back your debt that you incurred during production in terms of CO2. Okay, so earlier on, I looked up how many miles on average people in the UK drive per year. And if the carbon debt is 16,000 miles, most people are probably going to drive that off within around four years, which I guess isn't too bad. But there are other concerns around batteries that I wanted to ask you about, and particularly mining the minerals that are required to make them. Because right now, EVs rely on lithium-ion batteries, and there are concerns that the lithium mining rush in Africa 
is going to continue some of the awful practices that we've seen for a a long time in mining, you know, corruption, child labour and environmental costs. So can you dig into these concerns and unpick them a little bit? Yeah. Again, there is a sort of price to be paid for manufacturing this battery and it would be wrong to deny that. So indeed, we need to mine more minerals. But on the other hand, you have to understand that this is roughly 0.1% of the amount of material, if you measure simply kilograms, that you need when you use fossil fuels over the lifetime. And of course, you can recycle these minerals. In in, in, in a laboratory, uh, we already are able to recycle over 95% of battery materials. I think we have to be very careful where we get our minerals and, and that we do it in a sustainable way. But we should never forget that fossil fuels really are running out. I mean, it might take 20 years, might take 50 years, might take 80 years, but they will run out at the pace we're using them currently, about 100,000 times faster than they were created. While these minerals, yeah, we have already enough for hundreds of years. We know how to find enough for hundreds of years, let's put it that way. Comparing them and then saying, yeah, well, oil might be, may be bad, but minerals are also bad. Yeah, you're comparing a very big effect with a very small effect. What about cobalt, this other ingredient in many EV batteries? You know, I've read plenty of stories of exploitation and human rights abuses associated with cobalt mining. And even these so-called artisanal miners who are basically freelance miners who aren't employed by a mining company and so, you know, might be paid the equivalent of just a few dollars a day. What about that? Yeah, this is a very contentious issue. And there are basically two kinds of mines. There are, uh, let's say, more modern mines with big machines. And they don't have any people who suffer. Uh, well, it's it's still not a plush job, but but it, it's a good job if you if you work there. But about, I would say, 20% comes from so-called artisan mines. And that's where the poorest go with the entire family to basically, with a shovel and whatever, dig up cobalt. And I always find it very easy to say, oh, let's just shut down all those artisan mines. And then uh, we can say our cobalt is, is free of, for example, child labor. But it would be, I think, much more interesting to see if we, for example, I had a bit of one mine where they had a couple of grandmothers take care of the kids, and they got 5% more for the lithium, and then those poorest families still had an income, and the kids could just play instead of work. I mean, so so it's always a nuanced story, and simply saying, oh, electric cars are, are child labor is simply missing the point, still apart from the fact that cobalt used to be uh, the, the prime ingredient in catalyzing fossil fuels, uh, gasoline, and nobody ever complained about it then. So, yeah, minerals, they are problematic, but only a fraction of the problems of fossil fuels. So moving on from manufacturing to driving, it was interesting to hear you say how quickly electric vehicles can pay off their carbon debt. How does the energy efficiency in EVs compare to combustion engines then? That's the reason electric vehicles are interesting. The batteries are the challenge, but the motor, that's where electric vehicles really shine. The electric motor is about 95% efficient, so it uses almost all the energy you give it 
to provide uh, forward propulsion. And the average combustion engine and combustion car is about 20% efficient. It can theoretically go to 50%, but on average, because you always drive uh, suboptimally, uh, like 15% efficient. And electric vehicles always 95%. So on average, you use about four times less energy to propel an electric vehicle than a normal vehicle. And this is also where a lot of the savings for consumers come from because by a combustion car, you pay about as much for energy over its lifetime as you paid to the garage when you bought it. But the important thing is that addressing climate change is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the way it's going now, I would estimate in 2050, if you buy an electric vehicle, it will emit only one-tenth of the CO2 of a combustion car. So there's a very clear road to almost full decarbonization with electric vehicle. I often say it's like the incandescent light bulb versus LED light. It's not like, oh yeah, but difficult, difficult. What is better for the climate? Each has its advantages, disadvantages. No, it's simply a more modern and longer lasting and uh, requiring less materials technology. It's, it's simply progress. Okay, it's so nice to hear that for EVs, the only way is up. But I mean, right now, for people who are considering getting these cars, one of the biggest reasons that consumers give for not buying them is range anxiety. You know, this concern that their batteries aren't going to last for the journeys that they're doing, and they're going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere with no way to charge. So perhaps we can unpick whether or not these fears are founded. Actually, it is not the non-issue that some EV proponents want to make of it, especially if, for example, you buy a second-hand electric vehicle. And I had a Nissan Leaf for quite a while, one of the firsts, and it had a range of about 60 miles. I used to, I have been picked up quite often with my Nissan Leaf, to be quite honest, where it just stuck uh, without a battery because I was not careful and uh, also I wanted to try out. How, how bad it really was, it said, well, bad. But I must say, now I have a Model 3, a Tesla Model 3, which has a range of about 350 kilometers, so that's about, I would say, 200 miles or something. Your range will always be uh, a little bit less than with uh, a gasoline car, and uh, topping it up doesn't cost you like three or four minutes, but more like 20, or at the moment, often still 30 minutes, although that's decreasing. So the real anxiety for me, has has gone now that I have, uh, let's say, 200 miles instead of 60 miles of range. And I guess there's the question as well around whether there's enough chargers in enough places at the moment. I can see that surely that's only going to improve. But right now, do you see that as an issue? Yes, I do see that as an issue. Um, in the Netherlands, we are, I think, the country with the most chargers per person, per inhabitant. And and. Already there, sometimes you have to wait until you can fast charge. And sometimes when you get home, you don't have a charger. So I think this is one of the also main things that government has to do. They don't have to do much. They have to maybe incentivize it in a little bit. But yeah, government really has to make sure, I think, that there's enough room for chargers in the street. It is a problem, um, and especially in the city. Which, if I may, there's one thing I should say about electric vehicles. And that's no vehicle, or at least no car, is still much better for the climate, right? So 
Let's not get overboard with saying, oh, this is such nice news. Electric vehicles are much better for the climate than gasoline cars. So job done. <laughs> no, I think cities are often nicest. Uh, and I think this is also objectively something that comes from scientific research for inhabitants. If the amount of cars is very low, uh, it, it's sort of interesting from research that most people like to have a car, actually, but also most people like to be in neighborhoods with very little cars. So basically most people would like themselves to have the car. You, you sort of see there's a sort of a trade-off between uh, giving the commuter what he wants and giving the same person in his role as inhabitant of the city what he wants. And I guess another point there is the reduction of cars in cities would make a huge difference to air pollution as well. And I presume the same is true if we simply swap two EVs. To be honest, combustion cars are getting cleaner all the time. Although dieselgate, etc. remind us that there's a lot of trickery involved and, and that often the, the results are not as clean as you seem. And with electric vehicles, for example, you don't have brake pad dust, uh, you don't have any exhaust, and exhaust, if you look per milligram, is, is really, really bad for you. It's, it's, it's really no fun to be at the exhaust pipe. On the other hand, tire wear at the moment is a little bit higher for electric vehicles because they are heavier. If air pollution is our number one goal, of course we should go electric, but we should also go a little bit more lightweight and uh, maybe use our feet or bicycles or whatever a little bit more. you've made a brilliant case for using electric cars for the vehicles we need. How hopeful are you that we will get there by 2030, 2050? You know, are the markets going in the right direction? Yes, it's going faster than most people predict. Every year they have to make new predictions that are more optimistic than the ones they made uh, the year before. So actually that is going really nice. But to your original question, do you think combustion vehicles will be sort of replaced by electric vehicles? I don't see any other way. I, I see um, if we don't produce them, the Chinese will. They will be much cheaper to own for consumers. They will be clean. I don't see what can stop it. Avka, it's been so fascinating. So thank you so much for coming on and going through some of these myths and busting them for me. Well, thank you very much for having me. A big thanks again to Alka Hoekstra. The Guardian's currently publishing a fantastic series of articles called EV Mythbusters that explores the myths, the realities and the grey areas surrounding electric vehicles in detail. So if you want to dig even deeper, head to theguardian.com. And thanks to listeners John Baptiste and John who suggested an episode exploring this subject. If you have a question you'd like to hear an episode about, please email us at scienceweekly at theguardian.com. Now, before you go, I'm really excited to tell you about a new Guardian podcast series that's starting on Thursday. It's called Black Box, and it's exploring what artificial intelligence means for humanity through seven incredible stories. I honestly can't wait for you to hear it. It's going to be so good. So search for Black Box wherever you're listening to this podcast and hit subscribe. And that's it for today. 
This episode was produced by me, Madeline Finley, and Eli Block. It was sound designed by Joel Cox, and the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian.